0: Hello loves, it's Pleasance. Today I'm jumping on to remind you of the three S's. If you love this podcast and you love these conversations and teachings, I invite you to keep us supported by sharing, sharing the episode, sharing with a friend, sharing with your mom or your sister, sharing with a coworker subscribing. So subscribe to the podcast and please rate it. Please write a little review or a little rating. That stuff matters to people when they're looking on and they're trying to see if people are, um, you know, have integrity and are relatable and the teachings are helpful. So share it, subscribe to it, and then support us. So write on the anchor page, Um, uh, soulfulselfcaresessions.com. You can find it at littleom.com. You can find it right on the Anchor app, A-N-C-H-O-R. You can grab that app in the app store and listen to lots of wonderful podcasts through the anchor app um, and we have a support this podcast link right there and you can donate um, all donations are deeply appreciated creative work and teaching and sharing healing is my life's work and I deeply appreciate any amount that you contribute um, to keep this going so share subscribe and support Oh, And today I'm with my dear friend Sarah Boone.
1: Hi!
0: Um, okay, so I always give a little backstory about how I know the person that I'm talking with. And I was thinking, ah! <laughs> Us running up and down AU Park with our strollers. Mackie Boone in one, Sailor Eloise in one. Oh. Multiple kids, bellies, laughing, working out, like feeling so good, yeah, and the thing, and actually, I met megan my 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 adult BFF, I call her, my sister mm-hmm. wife, um, through some stroller strides, also, yeah, I mean, our crew was insane,
1: yes, it was it the was most
0: intelligent, motivated, fun. So we would just laugh and you yeah. and I, because of the um, people that we are, would start kind of sometimes talking about God.
1: Oh yeah, <laughs> we talk about God and then we would like go really deep, really quick. And then we would like kind of you know, fall behind in the yeah. line and people yeah. be like, whoa, I just want to talk about nursing my baby, like you two. <laughs> Do not do, what? I mean, people had had like two or three hours of sleep. They were showing up. <laughs> and then you and I were totally talking about God and, you Enjoying know. Ex- being Christian. Exactly. Ex- existential questions. We wanted to get to the bottom of it.
0: And many, 10 years later, same yep.
1: thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It, th- there was just always this energy that, that yep. we shared together. So, it's it's really fun to think about that season for us.
0: Well, and I remember so much too about telling you guys about like the creation of Little Ohm and I would say like I want to start this yoga studio for families and it feels crazy because I don't know what I'm doing and then other people would share, well, here's what I'm doing or we'd get to I remember you guys would also say, well, let's do a little bit of practice so we do some yoga with the babies. Like mm-hmm. we, it was just really fun and light because we had Like the future was bright. We were new mamas. We had all this ahead of us. And now, um, like the relationships and there's nothing like, I know everybody who's listening, you have your own like mom friends that you made, especially for your first babies. Yeah. There's nothing like that connection that you feel the first time. And we had the privilege of making space to move our bodies Mm. and uh, be together. And it was just a really, really beautiful time in my life before everything before the studios opened and my life kind of exploded um yep just a lot of bigness and so tell everybody what you've been doing since then Your multiple kids oh, Give us a little yeah. of your, um where you are right now and kind of how the last 10 years have evolved
1: okay so um since stroller strides um and when we met um so my first involvement with Stroller Strides was I was still working at an independent private school mm. um, doing fundraising and development work. And um, that really, um, you know, was a was a career that I thought I was going to be kind of in for the long haul. Um, I had worked in two other private schools um, that we're in North Carolina before we came to DC in 2003. And, um, I, you know, it just kind of assumed that that's, that's what I'm going to do. I had a lot of gifts around, you know, um, managing volunteers and planning events and all those kinds of things. And, um, in 2005, um, my dad died and, um, he had about a two-year illness, and he, um, he he had lung cancer. Um, I was very grateful for the fact that uh, I did not have kids at the, at the time of his illness and then his death. Um, and the genesis for how I ended up doing the work that I'm doing now was really... Um, during that season of his illness, so Duke Hospital was where he was treated in Durham, North Carolina. And he, every family was assigned a therapist to work with your family. And um, this woman came in, and, and um, my mom and my dad and my um, husband and my brother-in-law um, and my sister. We were all there, and. Um, she, she came in and my dad said, get that woman out of here, get that woman out of here. Who is she? What is she trying to do? He had this very visceral response to, um, engaging with any sort of mental health professional. And, um, (laughs) that, that was, that was something. Um, and he, Basically, refused to engage her the first couple of times that she tried, and our family was really in shambles at that point. Um, mm. you know, we were trying to figure out how to uh support my mom and my sister, and I, my sister had, had just had her first baby, first grandchild in the family, and then my husband and I had moved away from North Carolina to DC, so there was just all kinds of dynamics at play. And, um, she kept trying to engage in our, with our family, not, not, not in a pushy way, but, mm-hmm. um, with some time, my dad agreed to allowing her in our space. She, um, sat with us and did some family therapy, um, and he, he you know, became more accepting of, of her and, kind of her engagement with us but still kept her at arm's length and um then in the end after kind of about I'd say a year into his well I'd say closer to the end of his life um he really started connecting with her Mm. and she in the last couple of months of his life um began to come to the house because he was pretty housebound at that time. And he, um, within the the two weeks before he passed, uh, DJ, and that was her name, Mm. she came to the house and helped my dad to –
0: helped him say goodbye I can see you all so clearly like I can feel this love <clears throat> and this gift that DJ brought to your family right and yeah um, just the connections of bringing it forward into the world and watching him get closer to her yeah I mean, this is what you do.
1: It is. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you nailed it. And I said, I said to um, myself at that point, I, I I thought about what she was doing. Ultimately, what he decided and her helping him say goodbye was he gave us diamond ring, diamond earrings,
0: mm.
1: and he, you know, obviously the whole notion of diamonds are forever, you know and gave them to my sister and, and to me um, and to my mom. And he um, just was really able to say goodbye. And I said to myself at that time, I said, this is what I was born to do. Yeah. And so I went back to development work after he died um, for about, you know, a year, a little over a year, I had my first baby. And I, um, I just felt, I, I was just shifting existentially. What am I doing? How am I spending my time? Mm-hmm. You know, this doesn't, it felt very uneasy for me to be kind of in this role mm-hmm. without attending more to where I was feeling, you know, led to go. And of course, you know, I noticed the pattern of me doing a lot of, of counseling kind of within my role um, at, at the particular school I was at. Mm -hmm. So I, um, with my own therapist support was able to, um, make a huge leap to leave, um, my job. And then I kind of sat with, okay, so what's next. Mm -hmm. And then I enrolled in graduate school in 2008. Um, I absolutely, you know, Loved every course I took, but my favorite course was loss and bereavement.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I just connected so much with the professor. His name was Shep Jeffries. He had suffered the loss of, of losing his, his son um, at age 12. <laughs> um, he taught me so, so much. Um, my uh, graduate School years were intense, obviously, because of the work. It felt like going into emotional boot camp. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I was so energized by it. Um, Mackie, my daughter, was 18 months when I went in. And I graduated in 2014 with two more babies in tow. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I had my middle son in 2010. And then I had my littlest one in 2013, the December before I walked across the stage in May, 2014. Mm -hmm. So that's the kind of sequence of events. Um, my family suffered another loss in 2011. Um, my sister-in-law three weeks after she, um, was the three weeks after she birthed her third baby, she she had horrible headaches and she thought that she was, you know, having reaction to kind of um, epidural or something. She went in um, for all kinds of tests, ended up having an MRI and they discovered um, she had a pretty significant brain tumor. Mm -hmm. Um, So, she was, uh, you know, she was able to cope for, you know, I mean, living three years with a geoblastoma um, was, you know, almost unheard of. Mm-hmm. She did it. Mm-hmm. Um, she um, went into kind of a period of remission at one point and um She died in August of 2011, which was Mm -hmm. um, my daughter's first week of kindergarten. Mm -hmm. Um, She's my husband's only sibling. Mm -hmm. And so that was in the middle of graduate school for me. Um, I was getting ready to start interning at an eating disorder clinic Mm. um, within days after she had died. (laughs) and um so it was it was during that season of grad school those losses um you know have have literally been the most significant things yeah you know of of this particular last 10 years not to mention the you know the the births that have happened the three the three kids so holding that that and and both the Yeah. You know uh, the the beauty of um, of of life and death all at all at one time.
0: Do you feel like being in school when you were going <coughs> through your own experiences was a real gift
1: mm.
0: for your grieving and your healing?
1: Yes, um, it it was. It gave me an outlet to. Mm be with my pain. Um, I mean, obviously there was the the increased intellectual understanding of kind of the process that I was going through, but it also, I mean, I just had a space to put it in some respects. Um, You know, I had a space to tend to what I was feeling. Um, So yeah, that's, I I think the timing was certainly pretty incredible.
0: And now you really work with and focus on grief and loss, right?
1: I do. So um, in just to kind of round out kind of where I am um, professionally. So 2014 um, is when I graduated later that year. um, Unfortunately, my husband had a horrible bike accident Um, and he had major shoulder surgery. I had hoped to go ahead and try to jump into practice that, that year, but clearly, you know, there were other plans. Um, and I, um, joined a group practice in 2015, um, and, uh, was very grateful to kind of be in a space with other professionals who kind of saw wellness and through the same lens as, as I, I do, um, from a very integrative, you know, holistic perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, I stayed on with that group until this past April when I launched my own practice, mm-hmm. uh, 30 to 40% of my clients now, Pleasants have had some sort of you know, recent loss, I'd say 30 to 40%. Mm -hmm. And then the other kind of percentage or the other group is just um, young moms. I have some uh, young twenties. I have even, you know, some folks in their seventies. So it's across the gamut. So, but, but a, a good portion are, and then really the heart and center of my practice are um, the groups that I run. So I, I run grief and loss groups. Um, one of the groups is specific to those that have lost, um, spouses or partners. Mm -hmm. And then the other group, um, is for those that have lost parents or siblings. Mm -hmm. Um, the group is a two hour time commitment. It's an eight week group, closed group. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it has a start and a finish and it lasts for two hours each week. And the format is an hour and 15 minutes of group therapy followed by 45 minutes of yoga. Um, I have been working with the same unbelievable colleague, Lauren Schultz, who has provided the yoga piece um, and has just been such a partner for me in creating this, this particular model. Mm -hmm. Um, and it has been transformative for people and continues to be, you know, so much of what I, what I love about my work. Yeah.
0: Is this, it's so fascinating to me because both we both have, um, like a pretty strong connection to source, shall I say? Yes. Uh, and it looks different and we have different language, but it's, lots of the same. Yeah, and I think that if we had had this conversation when we originally, I think we've rescheduled a few times or pushed back or whatever, I would not have the same um, thoughts and experience about group therapy and the group model because I just two days ago, three days ago, left the Center for Mind Body Medicine where for five days, they put you in a group and you do an intensive, you do intensive group therapeutic work. Yep. Um, and to be honest, going into it, I didn't know that this was part I didn't know this was actually the like foundation and cornerstone of their mind-body, of their model. I just didn't yep. know. I, I know the practices they do, but I didn't realize it was based in a group therapeutic model. And Just recently, I was talking with someone, a therapist who's an old yoga, she's a yoga friend of mine, and now she's a therapist, and we were out at a walk in the woods, and she said, yeah, my favorite thing, and my favorite thing as a practitioner, and the best thing for my clients is group therapy, and I, like, rolled my eyes. I mean, I was very, like, "Uh uh-huh, uh, why? I don't know. Like, to me, I just, I was, I don't know if it was resistance or non-experience or, um, you know, all my therapy <clears throat> experience has been so one-on-one and so intimate and I'm very open about my like childhood trauma and depression and just tons of stuff that I have shared with my therapist that the idea of like sharing that in a group, especially because I know so many damn people in this town that I feel like I would know someone in the group. <laughs> like, <that> was, <laughs> like I'm, just, I'm just being honest. Like, yeah. Just like any, any I walk in a room, I know someone or they yes. know I just turn the name. And so, it's like, yes. thing. so I, when she said, yeah, group therapy is really where I see people make the most progress. And, uh, and it's a thing as a therapist, I love to do the most. I was like, <laughs> And it's funny because Thrive is is group therapy. It's yes, a, it's a therapeutic group. Let's put it that way. Yes, <laughs> but it's um a little bit. You know, just the container is different
1: than the one I just
0: experienced. But I just went through five days. We did eight groups in five days, two hours each one.
1: And the feeling for you? Ooh. <laughs>
0: I've changed my mind. I already contacted the Tenleytown Library. I am going to be starting a mind, body, medicine group, skills, yeah. skills, not therapy, but skills group uh, for our community this winter because Love the it. power of the closed group and the consistency, same thing, having it be a certain number of weeks and the same people is super important. huge. The shared learning, the shared common human experience is the same thing that I've been interested in learning and doing in yoga meditation, all these retreats, all these things that I do and go to, but the closeness and the diversity of the group is very interesting to me
1: because
0: you can have different ages, different sizes, different ethnicities, different socioeconomic classes, and yet have suffering, grief, loss, trauma, Wounds, and um, what I particularly like about the model is that it's closed. And this might be just a block I have. I'd actually love your thoughts on this. Mm -hmm. I really like the idea that it's six weeks or eight weeks or whatever the weeks are that it closes. Because one of the things that drives me nuts is ongoing for lifetime. Like I don't want to be anyone's coach or mentor or therapist on a retainer for rest of life. To me. Like then I'm not doing my job. Yep. And yep. a lot of therapy models, in my experience, a lot of my therapists, I would finally have to be the one to be like, guys, we're talking about the same thing here. Time to yep. like like I'm very action-oriented. So yep. tell me about that model with mm-hmm. the timeline versus ongoing and who it's a good fit for, right? Like, what do you think? Uh what do you think about
1: that? <clears throat> so many thoughts. Um <laughs> Um, I've had some extraordinary teachers that have, um, have helped me learn about group experience mm-hmm. and my own experience in groups has been, you know, I guess the best teacher of all. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I think that, you know, it, there, it, it's all about safety um i think that the structure when you, i've i've noticed with my groups when you're talking about the level of trauma and you're talking about the depth of of people's losses mm-hmm. structure is an absolute must mm-hmm. um because it it provides an, a container and it provides um, a level of, you know, kind of a sense of, of control or amidst, you know, just so many emotions that feel so out of control. Um, so yeah. that's why, you know, I, I shore up the boundaries around my group's in in very significant ways. Um, not only do I are those boundaries set around, you know, time frame. The fact that it's eight weeks, it's set around um, number of people. You know, I at this point I six is my max. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's set around um, kind of even the way that my my group my groups in and of in and of themselves. Each session is highly structured.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that each when people are coming into the group, um, I'll kind of serve up different prompts to them. Mm-hmm. I will offer them you know an opportunity to engage in an art therapy exercise. Mm-hmm. I'll offer them an opportunity to um, do some creative writing. I, it's not that we, it's not that we don't talk because we do. We process every single part of it. But it's not an open space where you're just kind of coming in and free for all. all. Mm -hmm. And so that part leads to a lot of of structure. Um, So that has been, I think, hugely helpful to the people that have done my groups. And they've commented on that. Um, I think the other part um, that's important is You know, Bill, I see every group that is created that I'm leading as a mini community. Mm -hmm. And my goal and my passion is to, you know, make that community feel safe, make that community, um, you know, be one of, of love. I heard this amazing uh, story about elephants last weekend um, I went to a little workshop and um, it was talking about how and you probably you may already know this about elephants so when an elephant um, gives birth and when an elephant dies what happens is the elephants the other elephants in the herd will literally form a circle around the mother that has given birth um and the baby Mm -hmm. and then when an elephant dies they um literally surround the body and they'll kind of kick up dirt Um, they do that actually when the baby's born too they kind of kick up dirt and they kind of push up against it and they um, You know, just they're just they're very connected to to what's the particular member of the herd that's in the middle, and it so resonated for me, Pleasance, because I was like, "That's what I'm trying to do. I do. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to create these circles and yeah. these faces that allow people to be in the middle."
0: Yeah,
1: and allow, um, for, for, you know, for the, the grief that people are feeling, get in the middle, allow these, the other members of the herd to come around you. And most importantly, and this is a huge part of, of what I feel like, um, you know, why group therapy works is because what needs to happen in the middle is they need to tell the, the story. They need to do the storytelling. And the storytelling cannot be just about the positive aspects of the relationship that they had with the person who died. If they just tell the positive parts and they don't attend to the the reality of the challenging parts, then the healing really can't happen fully. Um, so the space that I hope, I hope to be creating those circles, like the elephants where, you know, people are coming in the middle and they're, they're getting, you know, the experience of feeling held in community. And then they're able to name the reality because I know for me and my own loss with my dad, Mm. um, and with my sister-in-law too, I had to name both, you know, the beautiful aspects of our, Connection and the really challenging ones.
0: Yeah. This is so, I mean, yes, yes, yes. Like, I feel like that's what I saw this weekend. That's what I felt this weekend. <clears throat> and now I have such a different respect for it and for the work that now, and I also like it's like layers. Now I also know why drive, like, why the model has worked and why it's been so healing for people. And like, even though it hasn't been a specific around like necessarily a suffering or a grief or a loss. That's just naturally what happens because our lives are so full and have all this loss and beauty and growth and birth and death, right? Like we have, all of us have all of these things. So of course, if you're running an authentic circle or community, these things are going to come up. Hopefully people feel safe to do that. Yeah. And one of the things that they did at, at the mind body medicine, the reason it just like felt so delicious to me is because They teach it through the wisdom traditions, just like you're saying these stories of elephants or stories Mm -hmm. of what Middle Eastern communities have done forever, what indigenous people, what Mayan culture, what, like, bringing in all these cultural um, practices, pouring libations, honoring ancestors, talking about who used to live on this earth, and Mm -hmm. how did they heal with, um, from their own grief and trauma and loss and suffering of being human, and so that collective, like, conscious awareness that we're part of something bigger. I think um, I see a lot of anxiety. We have a lot of um, women in our community who experience tremendous anxiety. And one of the things that I've been really researching and just writing and thinking about is this, is seeing patterns in anxiety with loneliness and fear of the future and really feeling like I'm the only one. And what I'm noticing is that I'm not seeing as much anxiety in people who have this deep uh, rooted earthy connection to wisdom traditions and Mm -hmm. culture and ritual because it's like, when I'm singing my Hebrew prayers now, which I'm like doing all the time, it's like, I don't know what's happening. This is turning for me. I don't, I don't know what's happening except that I'm haunted by Hebrew prayers all the time. Mm. Beautiful, Like in a good way. I love in a it. Really good way. And I just, there's like no space for fear. I mean, not no space, but it's not taking over my life when I'm like, I am a strong, Jewish woman, like raising children, living, writing, living, breathing. Like, th- it, there's like not space for that, that disconnect.
1: Because I feel
0: so connected to my ethnicity right now. Yeah. Because of all these practices. So I love what you're saying with the stories of what other mammals do. Yeah. Not robots. Like, no. Nope. We have some insights. We've got wisdom. Yeah. We don't know it all. And. Yeah. But I love that. Okay. So here's my question for you.
1: Yep. One
0: of the things that came up in Thrive and one of the reasons I reached out to you was we have a Thriver whose mom died a long time ago. Yep. But going through Thrive has brought up some grief. Yep. What do you think? Give us some of your wisdom Mm. around I should be over this. Mm. This happened a long time ago. Why am I still sad about it? Mm. You know, kind of some of those stories when there's yeah. been some space. So, give me your perspective on time and grief. Yeah,
1: you know, I'm. I'm gonna. Um, I'm gonna connect it to my own story. Um, so, I come from a lineage of loss. My Dear mother, lost her mother at nine years old. So she was nine when her mother died. And um, I I would just say that you never outrun it, you never outgrow it, (laughs) you never, I mean, it's just learning to live side by side with the grief and so there's just going to be seasons and I I know this was true for my mom you know that that it's gonna rise up in you and it so you know it's just that's sounds like what's happened for this particular person Mm -hmm. and um, again I think the healing can happen when If she considers what would it look like to bring her mom out to to engage with her mom in some capacity, whether that's through you know therapy where she really connects with what the feelings towards her mom are, I mean, both the as I said, my goal in my group is you know you you're obviously. You know, everybody wants to connect with all the, the warm fuzzies about whoever they've lost and, but connecting yeah. both with, <laughs> with the um, really beautiful aspects and the really challenging aspects of, of what the relationship was like in reality. So that can happen therapeutically. Yeah. Um, it can happen just, you know, through writing, uh, somehow bringing her out, bringing, and and I just mean. Mm -hmm. engaging with, with her as a person and the relationship that she had with her is, is huge. And, um, that, that can happen in a myriad of ways, but it it could be therapy. It could just be through Mm -hmm. storytelling. It could be through a group. Um, you know, I don't know if she's got kids, but obviously there's so much cool stuff, you know, that can surface when, kids you know start understanding that hey whatever did happen to grandma and you know I get that you know I got one of those the other day taking my kids to school you know my son was asking my middle one was asking you know about my dad and so does that answer the question yeah
0: yeah that it that not shoving down I mean I think we all understand this but what's the practical application so not shoving down the feelings or wanting them to go away, but using our mindfulness practices, our awareness tools and our paying attention, just like we do with the fear that we experience in our life. Fear is part of being human. Just like we talk about with the emotional, like the full range of emotions, we ha- we're we going to have them. So when we bring them closer and we care and love for them and yep. bring them to life, there's um, a freedom to that. The sort of name it to tame it is totally what happens the more that we sit in the circle and tell the real story and sitting in that circle may mean your journal, right? It might be you alone. It might be with a beloved friend or family member where you're like, you know, I really want to talk about um, this part of our dynamic. I, and in fact, one of the things I shared in thrive recently was that my grandmother is moving she's at this point has moved, but is moving into an apartment. I don't, I don't know how long she'll last because she's Mm. trying to find movers and move back home already. (laughs) (laughs) So the story is not, there's no period. There's no the end. No, I don't know what's happening. One of the things that I said to Thrat, like, I remember that night I wrote in our group, like, you guys, I'm feeling really angry at my grandma. And it's like not cool to say that in public that you're mad at a 90 year old woman. Yes. Being stubborn. But in like, I could notice that I was feeling all the feels and I was trying not to have the quote unquote bad feelings. Yeah. Once I was like, oh my gosh, it's because it's not like, you know, um, normal in society to say negative things about your 90 year old grandmother, Who you love, who you would love. Yeah, like that was very confusing to me. I how do I love and adore and feel so sad for this transition, and yet I'm actually really mad that she's not just surrendering, like release yeah. it. Like I want her to be different, right? This is like human suffering. We want people to be different. Than yeah,
1: <laughs> totally. And it I and didn't
0: it, solve that problem. I just yeah. was like oh, this is what's happening.
1: But she but she turned towards the feeling, <laughs> yeah, and right. you and you named it, and right. you, you know, it's when. It's when we're not, I mean, yeah. it's being with all of the feelings, all the mixed feelings, not a yeah. selective few. It's right. not, you know, and of course she felt angry towards her, right. you know, and, and it just, you know, we could have a whole podcast about anger.
0: And, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, actually I did one of And so there's there's, people like, thank you for that. Let's talk about anger. anger.
1: Well, well, and and anger is really within the context of grief. Anger is really one of the feelings that one of the first feelings that's kind of re re recovered, if you will, because all the feelings kind of go, go down. And if you're imagining kind of like a pit, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and then slowly, you know, as you kind of metabolize the experience anger can be the first one that we can just kind of grab onto. And that's a sign of hope. Yeah. That's a sign of hope.
0: Totally. On the emotion scale in law of attraction, um, anger is a, it's a high vibe emotion. Mm
1: -hmm. It's got a lot of energy.
0: Totally. It's seen as a good thing, right? It's the apathy and the hopelessness that is like the scary red zone. Yep. Uh, Yep. For people yeah so okay so any other i want to ask you another sort of big question before yep. we wrap up but i yep. want to know if there's anything else so right now i'm just picturing all of the all of our community who are listening to this who've gone through their own grief and trauma who've lost someone they love or someone that they're caring for is sick what what are we saying to them what is your like deepest wish and teaching mm. for them
1: right now Um, I mean, I I think the first image that comes to mind is the oxygen mask. Yeah. You know, just whatever way you're doing self-care, whatever way you're breathing in something, um, you know, that, that is for you is crucial and um i think that that has has to be the the first step um the other thing i'd say is um really getting curious about where in your life for those people because i felt like this was an issue for for me um in different parts of, of grieving and people that I've grieved and, and lost experiences. Um, you know, I, I, I struggled sometimes to, um, be vulnerable about and about the really hard parts of the relationships. And I'd say, you know, just being attentive to, to where you may shame yourself for that and make yourself wrong about, you know, whether, you know, if you're a caregiver, for instance, if you, you know, if you've given up, you know, every weekend for the last, you know, three years to care for your person, or if you've given up, you know, one hour, regardless, just remembering your own humanity and remembering that it's okay to, you know, feel exhausted. It's okay to feel some relief. Um, once some of those things are, are, are lifted, it's okay to feel, um, anything that might surface. Cause I think that that's where we get, um, you know, in trouble is when we start hiding with with those types of feelings mm-hmm. that are just part of our human experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and caring for each other is not light work. <laughs> uh, no. I mean, caring for each other is not light, <coughs> light work. Right. And especially right. when you're talking about, you know, at the end of life oftentimes. Um, so... Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think it's important to remember that because we again have so little like public, authentic conversation <clears throat> around this. That yeah. Yeah. We see people, and one of the things I hear a lot is like, well, everyone else looks like they're taking care of their aging parents and their children and their full time job and meeting the needs of themselves and their husband and getting eight hours of sleep and meditating and this whole everyone else, and yeah. what I always say is like, no, because I work with everyone else and everyone else yeah. is not doing it. They think you're doing it. And none of y'all are having an authentic conversation about how hard it is. So yeah. let's just pull back some of that BS.
1: Oh, to totally.
0: Trying to compare each other because it's not even true. And it's, it's not, not true.
1: Happening. It's not true at all. Right. It, it. I could not agree with you more on that. It is BS And the, the more real we are with each other, the more we're going to be able to be elephants and allow each other the space to get in the middle of the circle when we need to.
0: And I just remembered this, letting other people feel pain. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we all want to go in And keep, and like, make sure that no one else is uncomfortable because it makes us so uncomfortable. Yep. So one of the things I've really been trying to practice and teach and talk more about is like, are you doing that because it's making, it could them feel better or you feel better?
1: (laughs) Oh, that's such a good question. That's such, and no one is more uncomfortable when there's been a death or a loss. And I mean, it's just, it's the thing that makes everybody squirm because we live in a death denying society. Yes. You have this thought that every, that, you know, we might be the one who gets out of here alive. Well, so sorry, so sad. We ain't getting out of here alive, but we, but living within the context of that culture, you know, we just, we, if you bring, if you bring it up, then, you know, it's, it's, you know, what, what's going to happen if I name it and um, it's, you know, people get in this kind of flu mindset. Oh, I might catch it. Well, guess what? You will catch it. (laughs) I mean, it's gonna, I mean, it's gonna happen. And yet what would it look like to just attend to each other in a way that doesn't make everybody feel like they're holding their nose, you know, that Mm -hmm. it's just the, the, the Mm -hmm. more of a tenderness and a more, Um, just treating people kind of, you know, with, with a kindness towards one another that honors. Yeah. I mean, that's why I'm obsessed with so many of the Jewish teachings around mourning. I have to tell you, (laughs) I mean, you know, and, and if people don't know about them, they, they need to look them up. I mean, there's, Mm -hmm. there's so many, I mean, I'm thinking in particular about the black bands, you know, that you know, just mark the people that are mourning. And, you know, it's like in this culture should be, should we be pulling out the black bands so that, you know, there's this, this consciousness and this awareness to, you know, just, just attend to people in a way that's sensitive. And, but I I think it's, you know, the culture just needs to learn that in general. I mean, I think we all have to learn that you
0: know and through the seasons that's the part I love about the Jewish tradition is it's a full year yes Uh, that gives you so much space to breathe Yep. uh, because you want to go through all the all the seasons holidays and all the life experiences through a full year because then it's different and honoring that yeah I think is um totally uh, oh someone in our neighborhood passed away last year and someone on the street came up to me and we were talking about attending the funeral. And she said, well, I can't call our friend cause I don't know what to say and I'm just so uncomfortable. And I, I just don't know what to say. So I'm not going to say anything. And I said, listen, I know it's hard, but I think she'd want to hear from you. Like, yeah. Please don't be quiet because you're uncomfortable. Please say something. I said, even if you just say, I don't know what to say. I mean, I yeah. say like, That's just my go-to now because I don't know what to say, but at least I'm going to honor that I don't know what to say. And at least I'm thinking of you and I don't know what to say and I'm holding you, you know? Yeah. And so I think also those of us who are listening, when we hear people in our communities go quiet or say something like that, like we're strong and brave enough to say, hey, that's not cool. The person mourning. Let's Let's rise up and support them. Let's circle them like the happens instead of running away and scurrying because we think we're going to catch it. So I think it's on us who listen to this kind of stuff and who live this way to help, not in judgmental, not in a martyr, not in a but just in like a, hey, say something, please, you know? Yeah, I cannot
1: agree with you more. And I I, I think it is our responsibility. And we keep, Mm -hmm. you know, it's almost like we keep passing the word and, you know, of, wait a minute, actually there is a different way to respond. Yeah, there's a different way to show up And it doesn't have to be based on what you're feeling. (laughs) It could be based on in spite of what you're feeling. I'm afraid to, that I'll say the wrong thing. Well, so what? At least you say something.
0: And just like you said, if you're over 40, I would even say maybe over 35, this is going to happen. Yeah.
1: Yeah. At
0: this point, I know people who've lost their children, their spouses, their parents, their siblings, like this is going to happen. Educate yourselves. Totally. It's coming.
1: It is. And, so and, and, and prepared. totally. And I just say, I always say losing a parent young and then losing, yeah. uh, you know, Robbie's sister, I, you know, we just went first. It, it yeah. it's really, yeah. it, it was just, we happened to, to be kind of on the front end of the arc. My mother, my mother really went first.
0: Right.
1: Right. And, and it informed kind of, you know, who she, bec- she, she has become and then, You know, it's, it's, it just is something that in my mind can literally, I mean, I I am an eternal optimist that I believe every single loss that you experience and loss is not just death. It is any other type of loss, both, (laughs) you know, bigger and smaller ones, however you might see it, it, it's always going to lead Mm -hmm. you know, to, in my mind, some level of redemption Mm -hmm. and some level of fruit and some level of, of shift that, you know, it is going to be, you know, your, your journey and your, and I, I hate to use that word. It's so overused, but um, it, I just think it, you know, it will lead to rebirth in some way. Death is always leading to rebirth. Yeah.
0: I, yeah, it, that's, I totally agree. And I think it's, um, when we're right in the middle of it, it's very hard to see that.
1: Yeah. can't, can't get there. And, you know, and it's not really, no one can tell that story except you who's had the loss yeah. and, and it doesn't, there's no way of telling when you'll be able to tell that story mm-hmm. um, you you just have to wait for it to emerge, mm-hmm. and it is my absolute privilege mm-hmm. to get to be with people all the time who I watch their stories emerge yeah. and they wait patiently i'm 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 dealing with a real resilient bunch mm-hmm. that is. That is so patient as their stories emerge Mm -hmm. and, and they just keep showing up Mm -hmm. and I'm just, it just, you know, that's what gets me fired up. And people, people ask me all the time. They're like, you know, gosh, it's got to be so depressing what you do. Yeah. And I'm like, are you kidding? (laughs) Right. It is amazing and
0: bravery and courage and resilience and it is
1: and hopefulness
0: and it is, yeah, it I'm is so good.
1: And, um, can I share one last thing about my group? Yeah, please. So, so related to that, the last session of, of my group, each time I, I lead an eight week group, mm-hmm. um, I invite the participants to bring some sort of food that connects to their person. Mm-hmm. And they bring their food and they share with the other members of of, of the group and we have kind of a feast mm-hmm. together and we share a table together. Um that you know in my mind represents, you know, this banquet of um you know what the work that's been done um, it represents the li- the lives of the people that they're there, you know, kind of actively mourning and remembering mm-hmm. and, um, gives nourishment for where they're headed out from my group mm-hmm. so that they can go out and be, you know, of, of goodness in the, in the world to other people. So I just, I'm, I, I love thinking about that banquet table and, yeah. and the feeding and the, you know, being together around that. So I wanted to share about that. Oh,
0: I love that so much. I love that visual. Um, I think just to close, the only thing, because I love talking about how we take care of ourselves while we're taking Mm -hmm. care of everyone else, is what are your, what does your care for yourself look like? What's your self-care? What is your caring for the caregiver Mm. uh, look like? And I know from an Ayurvedic perspective, the fact that doing what you do gives you energy, your groups and your sessions and creating space for them gives you energy, means it's dharma and true nature. When it's draining, if you were to leave and feel exhausted and overwhelmed by their stories, then that would be an indicator um, that it's not your true gift alignment. Yeah. So I yeah. love saying that specifically because you, you said that. And so people mm-hmm. are always asking me, how do I know when I'm in alignment and how do I know if I'm using my gifts and strengths And so we just look for the energy. Do you have energy at the end or are you drained? And that tells you. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And take care of yourself. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's very intentional. Um, So, you know, and I would say, Pleasance, that I've had a resurgence of kind of learning around this through my Enneagram work. Um, Woohoo! so, so. um, (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So I, I've done a lot of Enneagram work in the last year Yeah, and, um, I'm a type two helper Me slash too. type eight. Yeah. Um, so I've really tried to attune. I, I yeah. identify now I've sat with both those numbers long enough that, that I, I identify yeah. most with the type two. Um, so I've, and I've, um, set it's funny because again I've wrestled in both those numbers um type eight informs me in terms of like I will I'm intense I mean I I'm an intense gal and I you know type eights kind of have this lust for intensity and When I notice that intensity and then I I kind of pair it with the type two of kind of this driving need to be loved and to feel helpful and whatever, Um, it's really actually been kind of a beautiful marriage in some respects as far as creating a self-care plan. Um, I literally look at my calendar and figure out when I'm going to work out Mm -hmm. every single week. That's a combination of things. I have a real varied. I swim. I do at least one or two yoga classes a week, which I love. Um, yeah, yoga yeah, and then um, I mm-hmm. spin, uh, and then I walk. And we're just a couple blocks off of rock mm-hmm. creek, so. Um, that's huge. I have, you know, some dear friends that I'm very intentional about spending time with. Yeah. Uh, but then the other piece is, you know, prayer and meditation time. Um, it, it's a part of my every morning um, routine. So those are, those are the core, core pieces, the workouts, the prayer meditation, yeah. my um, church community, yeah. you know, is in there as well, but it's, a. it, I like the fact that I feel like my eight helps helps me kind of, you know, set my table every week mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and be intentional yeah. so that I can, you know, I just disappro- doing the two keep serving yeah keep, you got it right you got it and I'm because my eight gets mad about it or gets oh, yeah. gets gets kind of powerful about I'm not gonna have my workouts taken away or yeah. <laughs> or yeah. my or my quiet time my and my <laughs> right. Prayer, prayer meditation time. right. so I've, I've, I've just really enjoyed playing with a lot of that
0: it's such a gift for the energy piece because I am a very strong 2-7 which of course plays into like being the principal of a school or running a yoga studio like yeah big things in service because they're fun and you're bringing people together and their community and like that scale but that's also so that's the strength but it's also the shadow because done to that extreme, it's completely draining because you've given everything over to everyone else. And because of that seven, like just looking like, Oh, you're so positive and so fun and everyone wants to be around you. You don't honor your introverted time. So being able to use the two seven as the gift by doing podcasts and group classes and retreats or group courses and retreats, but not at that big scale of like, multiple studios or schools like it's so much more sustainable isn't that amazing so that I can just do what I'm here to do you know so um are you going to that Enneagram conference at the cathedral
1: I wish I could go I'm so sad I cannot are you going I am I just bought a ticket I'm like it's down the street it's I know dollars I know I'm going well I'm sad I'm I'll not tell you going how to it do is. it I can't wait to hear about it and- that that's Just not a jam. too. There's a
0: woman. there's a book, Oh, I don't have it right here, but it's called something like as Good as it Gets. And I met her. She's an Enneagram coach and like 30 year practitioner, Harvard um, doctor from Harvard who had a brain injury and found Enneagram when she came out and changed her whole life and studied Enneagram. And she's coming on the podcast next week. So. Oh my gosh. uh, I can't wait to hear her. I can't wait to interview her because I don't know any like expert. Like I haven't studied long enough to like, Mm -hmm. to wear that at all. I'm just so curious. I have so many questions. So everyone has to email me. And send me their questions so that I can send them to her. I can't wait.
1: Um, okay, Sarah Boone, I love you. I love you. I love I you. Love you. Where can find you. Where can they find okay So, so I'm not on Instagram. Um, I'm on uh, I'm on line. I'm Sarah. Uh, or www.sarabooncounseling.com. Okay. I'm Sarah at dot com is my email. Um, and. Yeah, that's There'll really link
0: in the show notes for people so they can just click right to your website.
1: That sounds awesome. Um, and I'm just so, so grateful to have had this opportunity.
0: At the end, I always have to stop and just appreciate you. Aww. I mean, we are so <laughs> lucky. If you don't live in DC, um, I hope that you are as lucky to have uh, such a thoughtful, integrated, holistic therapist as Sarah. Mm. But if you live in DC, and you need this type of group. This is your person.
1: Aww.
0: And regardless, if you step into a room with her or I, you can always go back to this conversation and hear her wisdom and truth and authenticity. And I so appreciate that about you. It's what Aww. I love about you. And I'm so glad that you're in my life and these other lives as well.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm so grateful for you, my friend.
0: Hug your babies for me. I will. Love you. I'll see you soon.
1: Take care. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.